0: Let's turn tonight together God's holy word to the book of Revelation. And uh, chapter 12, if you would, turn with me there, and uh, we shall read, was watching James White uh, this week, and um, just talking about some basic, simple, biblical things that uh, when you say the word, you have to now define what you mean by that, amen? I mean, when you used to say that you believe that the word of God is God's inspired word, Everybody knew what that meant. (laughs) Everybody knew what that meant. And uh, it's amazing how men are definitely turning away from just very fundamental, basic, we would call it what, theology 101, just something so uh, amazing as that. And so tonight as we turn together, we open God's inspired word, which means that God carried men along to write the words, the very words, the exact words that uh, he would have us to have. And uh, he used their personalities, and yet they are still the Word of God. Amen. And so we will read these together this evening. Look there, starting in verse number 10. We'll read verses 10 through 17 together this evening. This is indeed the Word of God. And I heard a loud voice saying, In heaven now has come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they... Overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death, therefore rejoice ye heavens, ye that dwell in them, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea; for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. and when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child, and the woman uh, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle. "...that she might fly into the wilderness, into a place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the face of the serpent." "...and the serpent cast out, his, out of his mouth water as a flood uh, after the woman, that he might cause her to uh, be carried away of the flood." "...and the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth." "...and the dragon was wroth with the woman." And went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, brothers there and sisters, there is quite a bit in our text, obviously, tonight. And we remember last week when we were gathered together that Satan had just been cast down out of heaven. And we take up our text tonight with much rejoicing. There's a lot of, amen, a lot of rejoicing that we see in our text Tonight, I, I like what one pastor said. He, said, he said that it spills of the cup and it overflows the saucer, this joyous, this great joy that's taking place in heaven as they rejoice because of the victory of the Lord God and of his lamb. And we see there, don't we, brethren, that the heaven literally explodes with praise and thanksgiving. The citizens, as I said, of heaven are praising God and the lamb for their glorious, victorious over the accuser of the brethren. They sing, the Bible says here, first of salvation. What does that mean? So the singing of God's salvation. Now that means more, obviously it's tied to the blood of the lamb, which we're going to talk about. But it means much more than that. It means that God is saving his people, amen, that he's keeping them safe. And we're going to look at that. They praise God because of his strength, amen. God is omnipotent. He is all powerful. And so those citizens of heaven are simply praising the Lord God for his strength and what he has just accomplished. They rejoice, brethren, this evening in our text, that the kingdom of our God has come. That's what verse number 10 says. They rejoice also that the millennial reign of Christ has begun. And again, we look at this thing and we look at the text again. It's not always order by order by order by order. There's We're looking here, and then we're looking there, and then we're getting a little deeper view here, even like we will tonight concerning the persecution of the woman, which we've looked at before. But this breaking out of singing, the victories that God is, if you will, continuing to bring forth in the book of Revelation is something that happens on a quite regular basis. Amen? And We should praise God for his victories. And tonight we're going to see this. Turn with me, if you would, one other time where they certainly break out and they sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. And again, it's why. Because God is being victorious over his enemies, which again has just taken place. Satan has just been cast out. His dominions have been cast out of heaven. And all heaven can do and all the citizens of heaven can do is praise God for his great strength, for his power, and that his glorious plan is indeed coming to pass perfectly. Look at Revelation chapter 15. Look at verses 2 through 4. Let's read that together this evening. Look here again, this glorious, victorious, if you will, praising of the Lord God. Look at verse number 2. The Bible says there, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. There it is again. Amen. They are victorious. They're singing of God's great victorious victories over the evil one, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of the saints. Who shall fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Again, we see again God's people, those heavenly, uh, those brothers and sisters who have died in the tribulation, who are there in the heavens, are declaring the glory of God because of his glorious victories. Look at one more, just another one here as we get towards the end of the book of Revelation. Look at Revelation chapter 19. Look there, if you would, again, this glorious, uh, if you will, uh, repetition, this thing that keeps taking place over and over again when God again, as his eternal plan is brought to pass, as his victories are brought over his enemies. Look here, if you go to Revelation chapter 19, look at verse number 1. And this particular portion of Scripture is extremely interesting to us because here in this portion of Scripture, we see four Alleluia's, which is very interesting. These are found nowhere else in the New Testament. We do find this terminology in the Old Testament, but only four times here in the New Testament, in the entire New Testament. Look there if you would. Look at verse number 1. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation. There it is again. They're praising God for salvation. They're, they're praising Him because of His sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. They're praising Him because He's saving His people. He's protecting them. He's watching over them. And He has done exactly as He has promised. And glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. So there it is again. They're praising God's strength, His power, His sovereign ability to simply just do what He wills. Amen. As, and as He has purposed. Verse 2. And for true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, there's the second one, amen. Again, only four times in all the New Testament is this used, and it's right here in our text. They are praising God, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty-four elders and the four fell down and worshiped God and sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia, there's the third one, Amen. The third time, again, we see in the New Testament that word used. And a voice came out of the throne uh, saying, Praise our God, all his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And as I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as a voice of many waters, and a voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah. There's the fourth one. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Again, they're praising God for his strength, for his salvation, for his power, for his omnipotence, for the victories that he's had over uh, his enemies as his plan, as we get towards the end of book, the book of Revelation, his glorious eternal plan is being brought to pass precisely as he has indeed said it would be. And so they're praising him there. In fact, verse 7, you see there, the Bible says, let us be glad in what? And rejoice and give honor unto him. Again, they are praising God for his gloriousness and his great victories, which he uh, has accomplished throughout the tribulation, throughout uh, all of the things here that we're reading surly in the book of Revelation. In fact, that word alleluia, as I said, is interesting. It means praise ye ja, which literally means God, Jehovah. The only place in the New Testament it is used is right here in this particular portion of Scripture. Again, praising Jah Jehovah. It's a strong, short form of Jehovah. Used another time in the Old Testament. I want us to see this again. The whole context here is the heavenly hosts who are praising Jehovah God for his strength, for his salvation, for his omnipotence, for his power, for his victory over all in every one. It's a stunning thing. Look with me at Psalm 68. Just want you to see this here again. There's five names of God here used in Psalms 68, but this one in particular draws our attention. Again, the whole context of Psalms 68 is praising God for who he is, praising God for his strength, for his power, for salvation. Amen. Over and over and over again, we see his people doing this. Look here, Psalms 68 just to again show you here this is the same word it's the same name it's the same uh, terminology that's used in the book of revelation four times only in the new testament look there at psalm 68 again five different names of god look at verse number one the first name you see there is let god arise that's elohim let his enemies be scattered let them also that hate him flee before him again they're extolling the virtues and the glories of god That God alone is God. Amen. Look at verse 2. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melted before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Amen. What a glorious thing that we as believers should do. We should be rejoicing before God for His salvation that He's given to us and that He is working out. Amen. This is the whole point of the text. That God's people are so thankful, so rejoice in what God has done. They're giving him credit as his credit is due, for he alone is worthy. Look at verse 3. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Now look at verse 4. The second name here that's used in Psalm 68. Sing unto God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens. By his name, Jah. Capital J, capital A, Capital H. It's the same word that's used in the New Testament. Alleluia. That's exactly what that means. It's the short, strong form of God, Jehovah. He who reigns forever. Look at what it says. And rejoice before him. Now again, I don't want to hit the other names, but there's three other names used there concerning God. And If you go down to verse, if you will, verse 18, look at verse 18 of the text. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord, that's L-O-R-D, capitalized, Jehovah, God, Elohim, might dwell among them. So again, we see this glorious names of God here. This is what John is recording. He's recording the the inhabitants of heaven who are bowing down before God, who are worshiping him for his salvation, for his strength, for his victory, for his glorious works. It is truly an amazing thing as we see God working out his glorious, perfect plan. Amen. Let us turn now to verse number 11. There's some more praise that's rendered. They first praise God. They first praise Jah. They first praise Jehovah God for his victories. And then, if you will, we look there in verse number 11. There's some praise that's rendered, and it's rendered to a certain group of people here in verse number 11. I want you to see this. It's a group, it's a group of people, but the praise isn't to them. It's to the armament, I call it that was given to them, that was imputed unto them by God himself. So indirectly, the praise goes to God anyway. Look at verse number 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Again, as I said in verse 11 now, there is praise that's rendered on behalf of these tribulation saints who were martyred for their faith and overcame, in fact, that, that word, by their literally means because of. The reason they overcame is because of these things that John is going to list there for us. By, because of, first of all, what? The blood of the lamb. Now, brethren, again, is a dispensationalist, and many of you know I'm a leaky dispensationalist. I leak along, and, and uh, but again, we see here, as we know, brethren, even as a dispensationalist, as we say over and over and over again, brethren, The blood of the lamb flows through every dispensation. Everyone is saved based on the blood of the lamb, period. Even here during the great tribulation, amen, the the church age, through every age, again, we see this. And John here, again, is simply reiterating that these who are being praised, those who are receiving praise, are being praised because of what? The armament of God, the blood of the lamb. They overcame the evil one by the blood of the lamb. That's what the Bible says there. Now, the blood of the lamb here speaks of the very real physical death of the Lord Jesus. Now, many of us have heard, and there's been much controversy about the blood of Christ and what it means and all of those sorts of things. Now, his blood was literally shed, but it is the work that that blood accomplished that is imputed to those who are saved that is what we're talking about. We're talking about his life blood. He gave his life, the Lord Lamb there, amen, of course, refers back to what? God's perfect Passover Lamb. This is exactly where it goes to. That typing, that picture, this is what John is talking about. Again, this is Jewish. There's a lot of Jewishness as we look there. This is the very real physical death of the Lord Jesus in the place of every believing one on their behalf before God. Again, do you see this, brethren, again? So, again, his substitutionary death, his vicarious death, his atoning death, his atoning work flows through every portion of Scripture. Every man, every woman, every child, every Jew who will turn to Christ during the tribulation are all saved based on the work of the blood of the Lamb of God it's an amazing thing to understand and to consider that in fact john is emphasizing the all sufficient finished work of christ who is indeed the father's spotless what passover lamb again this theme old testament new testament the dispensation during abraham the dispensation all of these things all are tied together with the finished work of christ and here in the book of revelation It is no different. I know people personally. I have spoken to people personally on several occasions who have said when you get to this point in the book of Revelation, well, when you get past chapter 3, you better start working because it's the only way you get to heaven. Yet we see over and over and over again the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb. It is the finished work of Christ by which one enters into heaven. In fact... Look at Revelation chapter 7. We already touched on this a little bit. Again, just back up just a little bit in the book of Revelation. What is mentioned? Again, it is not my works. I don't need to start working right away. I don't need to start working my way to heaven during the tribulation. That, my brothers and sisters, has been cared for and well thought over and orchestrated by God Himself already. It is the same merit that we're saved today in the church age that anyone, again, Will ever be saved in any dispensation of any time. Look at verse number nine. Look at Revelation chapter seven. Look at verse number nine. Again, the Bible says, And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And cried with a loud voice, saying, what, there's that word again, salvation, there it is again, they are praising God continually for his salvation, to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and, upon, and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, amen, blessing and glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Verse 13, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of what? Great tribulation. have what? Worked their way to heaven? Have started working as soon as chapter 3 in the book of Revelation is gone? They started working? No, they've washed their robes where? In the blood of the Lamb. Again, brethren, God's sacrifice. God's holy, perfect sacrifice. That thread, that theology, the atonement goes from one end of the book to the other. As we again see here in this portion of scripture now look just as every believing one loves God why does every believing one love God it's 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 Wednesday evening why does every believing one love God Blurted out Howard because he first loved us amen so that, that that's just a biblical reality every believing one loves God because he first loved us now what did he just tell us here he said that they overcame why did they overcome well, they overcame because he first overcame, amen? That's why, again, as we look at the praise that's given to these, these martyrs, the praise is indirectly uh, to them, but it is directly given to God, again, because of the armaments, because of what he has done, his work that he's imputed and applied to them. And, brethren, we are no different. We just talked about it Sunday again, and I think about it a lot. I don't know why, but I think about it a lot. I think about what would happen if somebody would come in here and if they would take me and point the gun at my head and say, reject Christ, deny Christ, or we're going to shoot you, I would pray that I would have the grace to say, pull the trigger. But what about if they grab one of my children or they grab my wife and they say, deny Christ or else? The only way, brethren, we will have the grace to overcome that. As if the Lord Jesus Christ himself gives us the power to say, pull the trigger. That's it. It's an amazing thing. Even as we looked at church history on Sunday, those, (laughs) the three terms that were used, pretty interesting how they, how they use those terms. And you can just see it in the terms that they called them, right? The laps. I mean, think, think of this brethren for a moment, what that's all about here. These brethren were not laps. They were not any of those kinds of men they were men who stood because christ overcame they overcame because he first overcame look there with you with revelation chapter 17 look at this glorious teaching in scripture again and we all know this we're we're reformed people we believe in the sovereignty of god we believe that once you're saved you know you are eternally secure in the lord jesus christ and that if you are a true child of god you will Persevere to the end, there is no question. That's one of the ways that we know that we are a true child of God. But look here, Revelation chapter 17, look at verse number 12. Look at this glorious teaching that we see. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as king one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with who? With the Lamb. There he is again. The Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lamb shall what? Overcome them. Because he is what? He's Lord of lords and King of kings. Listen. And they that are with him are what? Called, chosen, and faithful. Brethren, one overcomes. And these tribulation saints, these these brothers that we're looking at here tonight. They overcome because Christ first overcame. He's the one, again, the praise and all the glory, all the honor belong to God, to his strength, to his kingdom, to everything that is taking place. Man deserves credit for none of it. It is all directed right at the Lord God himself. We overcome because he first overcame. We love him because he first loved us. He imputed, I call it, and I just a terminology I was thinking up and I think a lot of weird things when I'm sitting at my desk. The armaments of God. The Lamb, the blood of the Lamb of God. What a glorious thing. When that's applied, nothing else can change it. It really is an amazing thing. But look at the next thing there. Not only the blood of the Lamb, and I don't mean that in a any kind of a irreverent form, but I'm saying look at here at another armament that God Lays onto them who overcame. Look at there at verse number 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And by what? The word of their testimony. Look what it says. And they loved not their lives unto the death. I read scriptures like that, brethren. And I keep praying. And I've said it to Dean. I've probably said it to Howard a, a hundred times recently. We've just been thinking about this a lot as we see persecution beginning to come. There's nothing I hate worse, brethren, than someone who stands up and is a big fat braggart. And they stand and say, oh, I'll stand. I know I'll stand. You don't know if you're going to stand. You don't. It isn't until the grace of God, the, he who overcomes, grants that unto you for you to stand. But here, the idea here, brethren, is the second armament, the imputed, That which is imputed to the offspring of the Lamb of God is the word of their testimony. That word testimony literally means report. It literally means that these brothers have publicly reported, they've given testimony that they are indeed followers and blood-bought saints of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what that word testimony means. It means that they have given their allegiance and they have done it publicly just as we get later on in the text or later on in the book of Revelation, the beast, the Antichrist, who's coming next in the next chapter, that men and women will publicly give their <clears throat> allegiance to him. That's what John is talking about here. These martyrs have publicly given a testimony. They have said, we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are indeed bought by the blood of the Lamb. In fact, They never wavered. This is what this text tells us. They are bought by the Lamb of the God by the blood of the Lamb of the God of of God. But they never wavered, not for a second. In fact, the Bible tells us here even that they what? What does it say there? That they willingly did not love their lives even unto death. This temporary life. They willingly. The Bible says they did not love their lives unto death. You get the the phraseology there. It's an amazing thing. They willingly. Love not their lives to death, which is really an amazing thing. In fact, if you look there at verse 17, look at Revelation 12, look at verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have what? Have the testimony, again, there it is, of Jesus Christ. There's their public testimony. There's their public allegiance to the Lamb of God publicly, which, of course, brings what? The swift sword. And the Bible says, they did not love their lives even unto death. It's an amazing thing to have that kind of that, if you will, that kind of view of who you are, of who I am. When you think about your life, how much is your life worth to you? What are you willing to sell your life for? These brothers love their lives not even unto death. It's it's an amazing thing, brethren, to grasp and get a hold of sometimes what we're reading. In fact, this, of course, was Paul's testimony, wasn't it? This was Paul's testimony. This is really the testimony of a true believer, one who has been given by the grace of God the ability to keep their testimony, their ability to overcome that arm, those armaments, if you will, that God has imputed to the true believer. In fact, look at Paul's testimony concerning. Look at Acts chapter 20, just back up there a little ways. Again, a familiar portion of Scripture to us. These are the things, brethren, that, I don't know, they go through my mind a lot. I've said that a couple times tonight because it's been on my heart a lot lately. Again, with things that we read and we sometimes just poof over Scripture and act like, oh, yeah, we're going to be there. We pray we are. But look what Paul said here in Acts chapter 20. Look at verse number 22. He says, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I've showed you and I've taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying there it is again both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And and now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But look what he says. But none of these things move me, neither count I my what? Life dear unto myself. Here again is Paul, the Apostle Paul, who says, I know what's waiting. The Spirit of God has told me what's waiting. And you know what? None of it moves me because this life, this very, if you will, fragile and very uh, 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 life that is very, shall we say, the brevity of life, how quickly it goes, how fragile it is, Paul says, it means nothing to me. What, what was important to Paul? Look what he said there. He says, uh, Save the Holy Ghost uh, witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither account of my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul considered his fragile life as nothing was not dear to him, he said. And that word there is a term of endearment. We understand what that means. Uh, Wendy's very dear to me. Howard's wife is very dear to him. Dean's wife. Our wives are very dear to us. Our children are very dear to us. That's literally the term that's being Paul is saying there, but it it means nothing to him that he might um, complete the task that God has called him to. Look at one more, Philippians chapter 1. Again, Paul's Glorious thought concerning this—the the true believer, how a true believer should consider these things, just as these martyred saints had to consider these things. Look at Philippians chapter one, look at verse number nineteen. Again, a very familiar portion of Scripture to us. You'll hear and see a familiar word—the word salvation. Here it is again, and Paul here again is—I mean, the connotation of being saved from sin is there, but that's not. He's talking about being rescued. God rescuing him. Look there, if you would, at verse number 19. For I know that this shall turn out to my salvation, my deliverance, my rescue. That's what Paul is saying. Through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, But what with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Again, here's Paul's, we can all quote it. For me, what? To live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. You see how Paul puts that into perspective for us, just like these saints that God has bestowed these glorious armaments upon, the blood of Christ, their testimony, all of these things. They have a very proper perspective of their lives and how God would use them in the things that he was going to use them in. Look at there, if you would, uh, at verse number 20, Philippians chapter 1, look at verse number, no, no, 23, 23. The Bible says, 22, But I live by faith, and this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I wot not. For I'm in a strait, I'm in a hard-pressed, betwixt two, having desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. So again, Paul's, the Christians, these saints whom God has again bestowed, they're, they're worshiping him, they're praising him for his glorious, glorious work that he's done. Just as Paul, so too these tribulation saints who would rather die for him who died for them than to ever deny him. Let, let me say that again because, brethren, this is really important as we consider what's coming our way. And just as Paul, so too these tribulation saints who would rather die for him who died for them than to ever deny him. That's an amazing thing to say. That's an amazing thing to ponder for all of us this evening as we look at the severity of this text. Look back there at Revelation chapter 12. Look at verse number 12. The rejoicing continues. The saints who are there, now the heavens. The heavens shall rejoice. Look back there at Revelation chapter 12. Look at verse number 12. Look what the Bible says there, verse number 12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. (laughs) Woe to the heavens of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. The Spirit of God here leads John to conclude this portion of Scripture with a final note of praise and followed directly by a most, if you will, amazing and sober warning. He says, Woe unto them who inhabit both the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down unto you with great wrath. It's interesting there that terminology that John uses concerning that. They literally, brethren, are about to feel the unfiltered fury of a raging devil who knows that his time is very short, that God has indeed by his sovereign hand limited the time that he has to do what he is going to unleash. It's an amazing thing. Now think about this for a moment as I was pondering this and reading this and trying to put it in terms that I could understand it. Think of this for what's a moment. What's just happened? So we know that the accuser of the brethren has just been, what, banished from heaven. Literally, he's gone now, banished from heaven, no more to appear. The next banishment that's going to happen is when he's banished into the, what, the lake of fire. That's his next banishment. But think about this for a moment. He who used to, on a regular basis, as our text told us earlier, day after day would come and accuse, what, the brethren. He's now banished from going before God or doing anything like that because of the blood of the Lamb. Where do you think his fury is going to be turned? Can't go to heaven, he's banished from there, so he's going to turn, as we're going to see in our text, and his wrath and his fury is going to be turned upon those who are upon the earth. It's an amazing thing when you think about that. Just to ponder these things, brethren, is... I don't know, maybe my mind is just too small. But he turns his ill-tempered anger, he turns it earthward, as I termed it here, with his first primary object of persecution. And that word persecution that we read there in that text is extremely important. It is an action verb, brother. It's an hostile pursuit It is something that isn't just some kind of a docile thing. It is a very hostile pursuit towards who? Towards God's chosen people, Israel. At this point, this point in the text, His wrath is being turned towards who? Towards God's chosen people, Israel. That's the text. That's the woman. That's who's there. The woman who brought forth the son. Remember, I said this. I've said this several times. This is not the church. The church did not birth Christ. Christ birthed the church. Israel birthed Christ. So again, we see this war, this battle here. This this vengeance is turned towards the nation of Israel for a very short period of time. It's an amazing thing, this hostile pursuit. Look at verse 13. Look what it says. And when the dragon saw that he was cast onto the earth, he persecuted a hostile pursuit he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. That's Israel bringing forth Christ. Look what he does then, too, in our text. Again, if you look there at verse 15, he pursues the woman. Look what he does. And the serpent that was uh, cast out his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be what carried away of the flood. Again, he is attacking the nation of Israel. His vengeance and his hatred and his visceral evilness is all vented towards Israel the nation of Israel at this point in our text. And you know what's interesting about all this? As we read earlier in verse number 6 of the chapter, remember? He attacked the woman. He was waiting there. He's waiting for the woman to give birth, and he's going to what? He's going to devour the woman. Here we just have a few more details. It really shows the evilness of what he's up to. But just as in, in, earlier in the chapter, here God also protects his chosen people, doesn't he? We see the evilness of what he's doing, his evil intent to go after the nation of Israel. But look there. It's an amazing thing, brethren. Just like I said earlier in verse 6, God here divinely protects his people. Look at verse 14. And the woman were given two wings of what? Of a great eagle. (laughs) Well, brethren, again, this is the gloriousness of having the Old Testament because you'll know exactly what this means. This, of course, is, as we say, right, this is a language that's, uh, how should we say, typing along. So we see here that God provided the wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness unto her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. Look there, if you would, at verse 16. So God provides these wings for, to, to protect his people, the chosen people of Israel, the woman who brought forth the man-child. Look there at verse 16. He does it again. Look what he does. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. So again, we see the evil one attacking the nation of Israel, the people of God, and God then what? Protecting his people. He gives them wings the bible says here again in a typology now it's interesting brethren again because when you look at this text and you allow the old testament to tell you what it means you know what you don't have to do you don't have to allegorize it you don't have to make you know a bunch of nonsense out of it it is literally a picture brethren just like in the old testament of god protecting his people It actually amazingly is. And I want you to see what God said when he took the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Turn with me, if you would, this evening in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. Again, this is Jewish verbiage. This is Jewish language. This, again, is God dealing with the nation of Israel at this point in our text because verse 17 deals with somebody else. But here he's dealing with particularly the nation of Israel Look what he said here at Exodus chapter 19. Again, he was given what? He was given eagle's wings to fly off to safety, God's protection. Look here what God said to the nation of Israel. Look at verse number 3. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians. And how I bear you on what? Eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. Here we have God, again, using the terminology, the typology of an eagle's wings for what? To protect the nation of Israel. You saw what I did. I mounted you up just like eagle's wings and I brought you unto myself. It's an amazing thing. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant Then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Again, he likens this, what he did to the nation of Israel, protecting them and drawing them out of Israel to eagles' wings. I bear you up like eagles' wings. I am your protector. I am the one who watches over you. I am the one that neither sleeps nor slumbers. Hey, and by the way, as soon as the sun stops and the moon and stars disappear and the seasons stop, then you will be stopped Becoming a nation or being a nation before me. Look with me if you would do an Just a couple of them here. There's so many of them, brother. And If you go into scripture in the Old Testament, you see how many times God says this. You will have no question what he's talking about in the book of Revelation and in our text. There won't be one thought in your mind. You won't have to make anything up or even imagine anything. The Old Testament tells us what it is. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, just a couple of them here. Like I said, there are many, many, many of them. Look here again at verse number 9. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Look at verse number 9. Look with the Bible. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and In a waste, howling wilderness, he led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as what? The apple of his eye. All of us are familiar with that terminology. You know what that means. That the nation Jacob, the nation of Israel, was what? It's the pupil. He was the center of God's attention. The apple of the eye. We we know that terminology very well. The nucleus. He who had God's undivided attention. He was the center. They were the center of his attention. Now look at verse 11. As a what? As an eagle stirreth. There he is again. He's likening himself to an eagle. What is the eagle doing to the nation of Israel? Those who are the apple of his eye, those who are the center of his affection and attention. What is he doing? As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. So the Lord. It's an amazing analogy, isn't it? It's a glorious picture. So the Lord alone did lead him. And there was no strange God with him. So again, we see the Lord God himself simply stating a fact. I am like an eagle who fluttereth my wings, who put you, Israel, on my wings. I protected you. I cared for you. I led you out of Egypt. Same thing in our text. God provides him with eagle's wings. Is a picture of him who, again, is snatching away and saving and protecting the nation of Israel during this time of tribulation. Now, brethren, the second primary object of the evil one's persecution as he turns his hatred and affection and rage towards the earth is clearly the tribulation saints. So we have God watching over the nation of Israel during the tribulation, and we also have God watching over the tribulation saints. Because again, look at verse 17 of our text. The nation of Israel is discussed, God's protection. Now look there again at Revelation chapter 12. Look at verse number 17, which we have already read. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have what? The testimony of Jesus Christ. Brethren, again tonight, let me ask you. (laughs) Does the nation of Israel have the testimony of Christ at this time? As a general rule. They do not. They don't. There are some who are believing. There's some. We know some, don't we? In fact, we used to have a brother come here from New York every year. Remember that? He'd come and do the Passover. Remember? He'd come and do that. He'd come and we'd do the whole thing. And he planted, and God planted him in New York, which has the largest Number of Jews in America. And I'm talking about conservative practicing Jews. The kind of Jews we see in the Old Testament, those kind. And it's amazing how he ministers to them. And he said, God is definitely, through the Lord Jesus Christ, saving a remnant of them. But it's based on what? The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like these saints, just like the tribulation saints, just like the Jews who are coming to Christ now. But they are not, at this point, as a general rule, as a, what's the terminology I could use? As an overflowing rule, are they bearing the testimony of Christ whatsoever? In fact, the opposite is true. Isn't it, brethren? They are actually denying Christ. They are even to this very moment denying that Christ is the Christ, that Christ is their Messiah. But, oh, brethren, that will change, I promise you. As God's eternal plan here, as it continues to work out, as he continues to work this glorious thing out, you will see. And again, this is why some people are confused. The two will indeed be one, no doubt about it. The two will be one in the Lord Jesus Christ, all having the same, what, testimony of Christ. This is what John is revealing to us this evening in our text. What an amazing thing that God would be so glorious and so good to us that he would reveal these things to us. Again, as an eagle protects its young and bears them up and watches over them and protects them, yes, the Lord God is still doing that to the nation of Israel, to the remnant, that he's going to reveal that they will indeed look on the one whom they have pierced. And all the while in that, he is still saving, still saving those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, those during the tribulation who will come and hear the eternal gospel. Their ears will be perked, they will be drawn, they will be regenerated. All of the things that are taking place now, the same thing, brethren, it never changes. God's work never changes. His, His soteriology never changes. It's an amazing thing to behold as we see God's glory and his goodness to us this evening. Let's pray together and we'll close and be finished. Father, we again are so thankful this evening, even now as we are living in a most interesting age. We're living in what the Bible calls and you call the time of the Gentiles. We're living in a time where Israel's heart has been hardened. And it's amazing to watch, it's amazing to behold how you are still continuing to hold out your arm to them. And even now, during the church age, there are those elect whom you are drawing out of the Jewish community. What a glorious thing to behold, but there is indeed a time coming when the time of the Gentiles will be completed and finished. The church age will come to an end. And you will indeed deal with your chosen people, Israel. They will be saved the same way. They will be saved by the blood of the Lamb, just like we are, just like every person who's ever believed has been saved. It's just such an interesting thing to me. Your sovereignty in all of it. And how your timing is perfect. It's amazing to me. And Father, we we thank you that all these things are in your loving care. Father, we thank you for allowing us to live during this time, this era, this age. And even now, even our short time, our lives that are but a breath, 70, 80 years, maybe, maybe 90, maybe even 100. If we live even 100 years, we are as but a vapor. And in that time, you do your glorious work. You save us. You seal us. You transform us. You use us, which is really... Amazing to me. You use us to preach the gospel, to teach the Bible, to raise our families under the leadership of Christ, to grant unto us a biblical worldview, a right mind, a right heart that we might understand. And Father, we certainly praise your name for that tonight. And Lord, now as we close together, we again think of our brothers and sisters who are feeling the ramifications, which all of us eventually will. Feel the sickness of sin and what it does to the body as our bodies break down. We think tonight of Shar, who's again not feeling well. Pray for her physical well-being and healing. We think of Josh and Diana's mom, and we think of many, you know, we think of John, Mark, and Janelle, their family, all of these brothers and sisters who are feeling the effects of the fall. Father, we pray for their well-being, and Father, we praise you, though, as our text, as many as the heavenly host did tonight. We praise you for your victories, though, where, O death is your sting, where, O death is your victory. It's been swallowed up by the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. and We thank you for that. That is our hope. That is our trust. Knowing full well that what you have said, you have promised, and you will never lie. All of it is true. Every last jot and tittle. And Father, we thank you for that, and we praise you for that. and We pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, the Lamb of God, who shed his blood laid down his life for his people we pray in his name and all God's people said amen amen